This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 487 for Christmas 2020. Welcome back to Konzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Konzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. My name is Mike. You may see me around as Vegito EX, and we have right now a full house of Konzenshu family and friends for a fantastic review episode. So let's just get right on into it with introductions. Joining us across the pond, we have AJ. Hello. Hello. Been a while since you've been on the show. It's been like two years. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. I think Therese said like Broly was the last thing. And yeah, that was a while ago now. I've only done like 10 episodes since then. So it feels very recent. <laughs> yeah, I think we all went into hibernation after after that film. Uh, you mentioned name there, Therese. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. You of of most folks, you and uh, another one here have been uh, a little bit more regular on the show, but uh, I welcome you and then I will move on to that other person. Ken, hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, last time I was here, I was uh, talking about Kakarot and I'm still playing that game. So <laughs> you are replaying that game. Yes. And uh, speaking of, it's been two years. Uh, so happy to welcome back to the show, uh, truly a founding member of Konzenshu. Uh Jake, you may know him best as Herms. Welcome back to the podcast, man. Hello. I love that's classic Jake. We just get a hello. <laughs> we're ready to move on into things. Oh, man. This is what a great bunch. Lady and gentlemen, I have gathered you all here together to do the Konzenshu thing. What we do for Dragon Ball Super is we review arcs as a whole. I've I don't know if that's the best way to do Dragon Ball Super, but it's what we've done. Uh, and we're going to pick that back up here with the manga, the first manga original arc for Dragon Ball Super, the Galactic Patrol Prisoner arc. So um, I, I want to do a little bit of introduction for this arc. Um, um, we all live in a world of Dragon Ball documentation, for sure. So if it's new and if it's Dragon Ball, we're, we're all in it. And this is the main story of Dragon Ball. So we've been living and breathing this Really for two years now. This arc began in November 2018, partway through Chapter 42 of the Dragon Ball Super manga, and it just concluded this past week. Uh, this is December 2020, as we're recording right now in uh, the latest chapter. So if I did the math correctly, and I, I may be off on this, but we'll see. That's what editing is for. That's 24 full chapters two half chapters, book ending, beginning and end, and a couple bonus chapters. There is one bonus in the Jump Victory Carnival 2019 official guidebook, and then there were two bonuses, both in volumes 10 and 12 of the collected volumes, and the Jump Victory Carnival comic was in volume 11, for whatever that is worth. Um, I guess I also want to say up front, this is going to be a spoiler-filled review. We are talking about everything. We're going to assume that you've read it, and for $2 a month on Viz's website, you can read literally all of Dragon Ball's main story, Dragon Ball Super included. If you haven't read it, and don't care, and still want to listen, and for those of you maybe who have read it, I haven't told folks I'm going to do this. This is the official Mike recap of the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc. Now, I want to say this isn't necessarily in chronological order, but I think it's close enough. Now, those of you who went through our manga review of Awesomeness many, many years ago, you remember we did some very, very detailed uh, synopses, recaps of stuff. That is not what I'm doing here. These 
<laughs> These are the highlights. This is the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc. Some time has passed after the Tournament of Power and the Broly fight. The Galactic Patrol has come to effectively kidnap Boo because they need the Dai Kaioshin, who's absorbed within him, to take on a prisoner who broke out. This prisoner is Moro, originally captured 10 million years ago by Dai Kaioshin himself and imprisoned by the predecessor to the Galactic Patrol. Now, Moro, who is a magical old goat, has teamed up with another escapee, Cranberry, himself a former member of Frieza's army. They ultimately end up on Namek for the Dragon Balls, and Earth's fighters follow, including the Galactic Patrolman Medusu, who's in charge of over 100 sectors and is the best patrolman absolutely in the organization. Uh, Moro trounces everyone, except for Boo, whose magic puts up uh, a good fight there. But Medusu keeps getting in some good shots with some curious, impressive abilities. Oh, and Dai Kaioshin can just swap places with Boo now whenever he wants. So, anyway, Moro wishes for his magic back, kills Cranberry, also wishes for the Galactic Patrol to be broken open, and he gets together a nice little gang, including Saganbo, the leader of this group, and uh, notably also 7-3, an artificial life form who can steal abilities. Now, the bad guys end up coming to Earth, and we get the usual let's wait for Goku and Vegeta, who at this point are conveniently off training. Uh, I would say the biggest fight of importance along the way is definitely against 7-3, who keeps copying abilities, including Moro's, who he has in reserves. So where are Goku and Vegeta at this point? Uh, after thoroughly getting trashed by Moro earlier. Goku is training with Medusu, who clearly knows more than he's letting on, including about Ultra Instinct, and Vegeta has gone to Yardrat to begrudgingly learn wacky techniques. Uh, everyone comes back to Earth uh, to fight, all the bad guys come, and we get all the old friends enlisted into the Galactic Patrol, holding down the fort until Goku and Vegeta arrive. Goku's uh, first to come back, takes out the small fry, including eventually Saganpo, and goes up against Moro again. Ultra Instinct Sign isn't cutting it, though. At uh, some point, Vegeta arrives, having just taught himself teleportation after pretty darn well mastering some awesome key control on Yardrat, including this new spirit fission technique. Along the way, some crazy stuff happens, including, uh, did we mention Medusu is an angel in training and he breaks the rules by coming to fight for real. Moro does some crazy stuff, including eating 7-3, who had a backup of Moro in him. Uh, Moro merges with planet Earth. Goku figures out Ultra Instinct a little better. And here we are in the next arc of Dragon Ball Super. I went much faster than my reread. Was, yeah, yeah, I was, was going to say, we, we all did a uh, some, some rereads over the last couple of days. Man, um, here is my first question for the group. Um, I, I went into this being a, a fairly big fan of the Galactic Patrol in general. Um, that, for me, started with Jocko when that came out, because we all knew as Jocko started that it was going to be a part of Dragon Ball. So that made me go back and really get into Sachie and Gia and really learn all about this. So having Jocko along the way in Super was cool. Having a new arc with Galactic Patrol in the title made me really excited. Um, AJ, let me start with you. What were kind of your expectations going into this arc? I mean, we're coming off the Tournament of Power. The TV series is over. Broly happens and isn't in the manga. <laughs> what were you thinking as we were going into this new original arc? I didn't really have any expectations. I feel like I checked out like very heavily on the super's narrative during the tournament of power. Um, yeah. Cause I, you know, my thoughts on like the quality of that arc aside, I just wasn't in the mood for a tournament either way. Um, and Broly was fine, but it was kind of, you know, wrapped up and done with. And so coming into this, I just didn't, 
I don't think I had any expectations. I think I was just curious to see what happened. I didn't feel, you know, one way or the other, really. Um, I like the idea, you know, like yourself, of in- involving the Galactic Patrol, because, to be honest, anything involving Jaco is just the greatest thing ever. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of it, really. I obviously had sort of um, hopes. Uh, you know, I have very strong opinions on, on the, the direction. I'd, I'd love to see the series go in and what Dragon Ball should be and that kind of thing. But, sure, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, other than that, I wasn't, like, looking at it going, you know, oh, I'm so excited for X and Y thing. Trez, how about you? Uh, I mean, you were so deep into, and still have been, um, I, I think of Tournament of Power stuff, working on the wiki, all the angels, all the universes. That's kind of like the world you had been living in. And then reading, consuming this story alongside that, what were you thinking going into to this arc? Well, I came at it like I come at everything else in Dragon Ball from just a Fujoshi perspective (laughs) okay so as soon as i found out it was like an old goat i was totally bored so that was that was my perspective going in (laughs) (laughs) all right jake how about you i mean um the last big thing for the franchise was the broly movie you you had a chance to go see it in japan as it debuted aju as well um and you've been you've been taking it easy for a while so what was it like coming back to the the main story of dragon ball yeah so um after the Brawley movie, I was more or less burnt out. So I had read the, like, half of a chapter that started off the arc. And then after that, I more or less, you know, I, I would see people mention what was happening on Twitter. And so I got some details that way. But apart from that initial half chapter, I didn't read anything at all until uh, earlier this month, basically. So you are coming to it the most yeah, recent. So That's I great. I through everything, you know, up until the end of volume 14. So, you know, what? Uh, once volume 14 came out, then Therese, Therese was nice enough to essentially send me copies of the last two chapters. Yeah, because you've been reading it in Japanese then through the collected volumes. Yeah, so essentially, I actually haven't read the final uh, like half chapter in all in Japanese. <laughs> I've, read, sure. I've read the first 10 pages raw, you know, when they put those up on the official Dragon Ball site. Um, the rest of it I just read in English on Viz. Uh, that leaves Ken. What were your uh, thoughts and impressions kind of going into this arc after everything that came before? Uh, very worried. Um, <laughs> okay. I think it's it's hard to talk about the kind of fan I was at the time when this started because I, I feel differently about Toyotaro now. But at sure. the time when the uh, this arc started, <clears throat> Toyotaro had had strong starts with his arcs. And then sure. the way I saw it would fizzle out at the end. And, and that happened with Trunks. And that happened with the Tournament of Power. I I, I need to reread those arcs. I might feel yeah, differently yeah. now, but I was really worried that I, I didn't know what we were going into with Moro. And the whole time of this arc, I was like, when is he going to drop the ball? When is he going to drop the ball? <laughs> sure. And and what is that ball drop? I think back to, again, I, gotta, I agree. I need to go back and read things. But the Trunks arc was just delayed and delayed. It just kept going and going. And it, I mean, my theory is that they wanted to keep that going to keep that in people's memory as they were doing things like the Xenoverse DLC, like let's keep as many arcs in the public consciousness as possible. And then the turn in power, I mean, its ending was whoops, we tripped and we're done. <laughs> I mean, there were so many, what, what a manga. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, what did you think that that ball dropping would be? Or did you not even really know what it would be for this arc? Well, I, I, I'm not sure exactly when we first saw 
what this arc was going to be. Uh, I mm. don't know, like when they might have previewed Moro or not, but I just didn't know. I, you know, I knew Toyotaro was a huge fan of the series and would have tons of yeah. little callbacks here and there, uh, some big callbacks, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of big callbacks. But I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't know, you know, how something that's his vision would play right from the start. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can say debatably his vision. Uh, I definitely would encourage people to check out. Uh, I think at this point, it's still the last episode of the podcast. I talked with Ian Cypher um, about some of these interviews and what Toyotaro does, what Toriyama does. Things are still going through Toriyama. Toyotaro definitely has, let's say more involvement, like he's doing character designs. That's what Ian and I talked about. He designed Moro. He designed Marisu. That's more than he had done for something like the Trunks arc. That was all Toriyama. Uh, I do, let's just go into Toyotaro right now. Um, I, I feel like off the bat, there are some things that are Toyotaro through and through that are not things that Toriyama would do. Um, the scene actually of Goku honing in on Moro's key for the first time. And this is something that Toyotaro does a few times over the course of this arc where we'll get like cl- panel next to panel, next to panel and the panels get bigger and it's like a closer view on someone. Um, there's another one at some point where it's Marisu coming in, like swiping in from above. Um, those are the kinds of things that I feel like Toriyama didn't draw before. We would always get like the setup and then there, the next page would be like a full page like follow up on whatever that action was. Um, AJ, let me ask you, to- we've, we've talked extensively about Toyotaro in the past. Um, what did you think of his composition style, this arc? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think I know what you're talking about as far as what's like very Toyotaro style and what's very Toriyama. Like I think um, something Toyotaro does is he can quite often panel like a storyboard compared to a manga. Yeah. Like Toriyama will let the gutters of a, of a page you know, uh, convey movement. Whereas I think Tori, uh, Toyotaro quite likes to actually draw them, um, which can sometimes be really effective. Sometimes can't be. Uh, I think in the past, I think maybe all of us have, have criticized uh, some very cluttered stuff, cluttered paneling, especially during the uh, Tournament of Power, which for me at least was like a big, like, whoa, this is so much and reminds me a lot of like his hero stuff back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as this art goes, I really feel like it, it was a dramatic shift. Um, I feel like especially when you get towards those later fights, the panel, uh, the number of panels a page just kind of disappears. Um, it just mm-hmm. zooms down really low and it, and it starts to feel a lot more uh, like the, the original series. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think another thing I noticed, uh, I don't know if you would necessarily call this structure, but just as far as like his artwork in general, the sort of variety in choreography is really interesting. Um, it feels like, I mean, I don't want to, you know, guess you know, too specifically, but it, it kind of feels like he sat down and done a lot of like gestural studying. Um, mm-hmm. And like the, the motion conveyed through some of his drawings in, in this arc is astonishing really. And at times I would look at it and I, and I would go like, you know, the, sure. There are some anatomy issues, you know, throughout and that's understandable. You know, you're doing 40 pages a month or whatever, but like there's stuff in here that is so impactful and so, not Toriyama, but in like a good way. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's different in an interesting way. Like, like I said, there's a there's a lot of motion there um, that I really, really like. Too many speed lines, way too many speed lines. <laughs> sure, but the the drawings themselves I think are really impressive in the arc. And, you know, he does that kind of like 
when when some like the shit hits the fan, there's like the squiggly things in the background, like there's something real evil was just said. It's the kind of thing I I feel like the the animation staff would do, and he's adopted that. I don't feel like Toriyama ever did something like that. It's just um, I feel like he's pulling from a lot of places. There were parts as I was reading this, and and to help focus, I listened to brown noise when I read, mm. and I I felt as though I could hear the action as it was happening, the way that Toyotaro draws it and, and the yeah. flow of action is so good that it was tricking the lizard part of my brain into thinking that I was hearing <laughs> what was happening. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. I was really taken aback. I mean, I have been very critical of his uh, of his paneling in, in previous arcs and to me, this was such a turnaround. You know, there are, there are certain panels where I go, you know, I've seen that a lot in the past couple of chapters, but you yeah, know, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's not a huge deal. But no, I, I totally agree with Ken. Like the the impact and the the tension is just nuts. Um, I mean, when we get down to the uh, specifics of the story, I think there's certain ways the battles are written, the the strategy mm-hmm. involved in them that let him create some really dynamic battles that gave him the freedom to do a lot of crazy stuff drawing wise that he otherwise hadn't done and wouldn't have done in the past. As far as his ability to convey motion and stuff like that, uh, there were a couple of points, and one of them we talked about yesterday, we weren't supposed to do that, but we did, um, <laughs> was when uh, Yuzun died. Yes, yes, um, yes. And so many people were confused about what had even happened there. Like, we had to explain it for people. I mean, my, myself included. I was reading it, I'm like, what? Who? Where's this going? Where'd that come from? Uh, I feel like that's classic Toyotaro. Well, what made it confusing was the fact that uh, Vegeta made a hand gesture like he was going to fire at him. So people got the impression that he had actually done something. Mm. But he hadn't because he saw what was going to happen, that the thing that Yuzon had kicked into the sky was coming back down and was going to kill him. So he saw that that was going to happen and he didn't actually fire. And you know what uh, actually threw me off there, too, was the the next page. Iriko was just like, uh, uh, well, anyway, so let's talk about this now. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a lot of people were confused about that and another one that really bugged me was actually the climax when goku finally cracked the crystal mm-hmm. like he she showed it from i don't know three or four different angles yes and yes like throughout all of that I, I didn't feel any motion at all it was just like goku was touching it you know oh, um, that's and really did, interesting and it didn't feel like he was punching it at all i totally agree because like there's a vertical then a sideways but they're all like the same point of the motion i think what he's going for is that like triple take we get in a scene right. like um i think to when goku punches uh napa in in the stomach and we get like the double or triple take on that from different angles and this is supposed to be something like that but it just doesn't work <laughs> Yeah, there were there were motion lines, but like there was nothing actually at the point where his fist touches the crystal. There was no uh, like maybe a puff of dust or something or I don't know anything to show motion there. And it just felt really static to me. That's interesting. I really love that moment. Um, I I agree that I don't think the the multiple takes from different camera angles really works uh, in a manga form. which again, as like I was saying earlier, I, I do think he sometimes storyboards uh, his manga instead of... I don't think it works in anime. Sorry, I just had to get that in there. <laughs> um, I really don't. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I, I, like, I, I kind of love that whole finale. Um, 
and I, I just thought the, the tension running through those, those panels was, was amazing. And I absolutely love that, that big spread where you have like the close up of Goku's big phantom form thingy and everything around that. I just thought was astonishing. Um, I'm sure we'll have thoughts on that specifically, but yeah, sure. I don't really have that many issues with the, uh, the art itself there. Yeah. You know, there, I'm sure there's a lot more about art and composition we'll get to when we talk to, um, specifically more about some of these moments. Uh, I want to turn things a little bit to playing with lore. Can uh, I think back to some of the conversations and even some of the tweets we had, it was chapter 49 where within like two pages, Toyotaro clears up. Eska's like, oh yeah, the Murray gave me the, I made me the successor. And so that's why Dragon Ball still work. Like there are all these things that Toyotaro does that shows he's paying attention to what he wrote. Sure. But he's, he's also really living in the world of Dragon Ball and expanded Toriyama lore. Um, back in victory mission, obviously he threw in tons of little cameos here and there. Uh, he's doing what he can here with that. And I feel that's through using, other characters in the Dragon Ball lore, whether that's Daikaioshin, whether that's Oob, um, there's kind of like a Galactic Patrol Gia-ish reference very, very early on in here. Let me get you guys' thoughts on that. Playing in, this isn't just a new Dragon Ball arc. It's It feels like a very connected Dragon Ball arc, at least it did to me. See, somewhere in my notes here, I have written Toyotaro's fast and loose with things. <laughs> and I felt that he is, that's... Yeah. That's how he was with the lore and with uh, the how he communicated how much time was passing. And sure. he was much more focused on, I'm going to draw these elements that are cool and expand on them, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to get so caught up in things that it's yeah, maybe in his mind to the detriment of the story, maybe other people would disagree. Hmm. And I, I think we see that a lot in that final uh, fight with Oob. Yeah. Where Jocko makes the connection, oh, we need God power, let me go find Boo. And he, you know, there's a whole conversation about how he overhears, uh, I'm not used to saying this out loud, Merusu, <laughs> uh, to uh, that Kid Boo had that power, or Pure Boo, gosh, Pure Boo had that power. And so he goes to, to Boo, and, but he doesn't know right. what, what's his plan there. And I was, as I was rereading that chapter today, I was thinking about that. And had we stopped and walked through Jocko's plan, it would have killed all of that momentum and that, yeah. that intense moment that leads to defeating Moro. Yeah, it just should have been set up completely differently. Like, they should have talked about the reincarnation or something, you know, when he was there for that story. Because he had no reason to think that Boo could help because he thought that Boo's power was gone, as far as he knew. You know? Yeah, I agree on that kind of stuff. Um, I I also felt the same about uh, Oob's inclusion towards the end. I think as far as lore expansion goes, um, I guess it is also a callback, but I really enjoyed um, how like when Vegeta goes off to, to train on Yardrat, the person who trains him, as you know, the person who Goku knew, and like that ties in later um, mm-hmm. to when they're explaining for Spirit Fission. I think one of the things I was so concerned about um, in the build-up to that reveal of what Vegeta's power was going to be was like, he's going to arrive, but how how are they going to explain that to the audience? How do we how, how are we going to be told what this power is without it feeling like we're stopping, staring the readers in the face and going, this is how this works? And I thought it was a really genius way of going, okay, it's the same person 
who Goku knew. It's the same training. Goku was aware of this. He didn't, you know, achieve it himself, but he knows what it is. And so we can naturally convey to the readers how this thing works. And I love that. It was so long ago for Goku. I mean, obviously, how much more powerful are they now? And to that point about Toriyotaro showing rather than telling, uh, going back to that earlier <laughs> fight that we talked about on, on Yardrat, where Vegeta points his finger and he goes to fire and he's like, holy shit! He like blows that giant blast <laughs> ahead. I, I feel like that was a, a great moment to really show what's going on there. And just to, again, to the point about lore expansion and, and showing what he knows, tying in the Yardratians from Dragon Ball Online and trying to reconcile um, these different looks for these characters. Like, that's not what we know they look like from the original series. But, you know, he decided to go there. Yeah, it was after that Yardrat chapter that I guess I started getting really excited about it. And then Therese was like, OK, you're writing the wiki article. And like, okay. <laughs> that's true. Um, Jake, let me ask you. So, you know, having been away from it for a while and then coming back to this story, did it feel like a natural extension of the Dragon Ball story or did this feel and this is going to tie into future podcast topics? Did it feel kind of toyable af in the well, I'm going to use this element from the series and I'm, I like this character, so I'm going to bring him back here? Well, expanding on the Galactic Patrol did make it seem like an extension, but I guess the thing that's kind of stuck out to me, now that we've got an inkling of what the next arc is going to be, it seems like we've had, okay, so we had the Tournament of Power, which was all about the 12 universes, which was kind of the big idea that was introduced at the end of Battle of Gods. And so it's like all of Super, each arc has in one way or another kind of connected to that Except maybe Resurrection F, but everything else has kind of built on that. And so, but after the Tournament of Power, you know, we had the Brawly movie, doesn't involve the other universes. This arc, no other universes. And so far as we can see with Granola, I mean, it might change, obviously, but so far it seems to be taking place also in Universe 7. So it seems like they've kind of backtracked from that whole idea for quite a while now at this point. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if they're just going to... I guess that's the one thing that stuck out to me as not feeling like a continuation of what we've had before. But I mean, yeah, I think everything... But, you know, they did they with um, Mels, you know, that all felt, you know, expanding on the angel lore. That felt like it was finally paying off stuff that we'd had with Wiss, where throughout... There's always been the thing where with it, Wiss is stronger than anyone, but he never really fights. And so now we've get a proper reason for why that is beyond him just not wanting to, I guess. And so it sort of retroactively makes things, it makes previous arcs more dramatic than they were at the time, knowing that he can't fight rather than just is choosing not to. Like mm-hmm. again, in the Broly movie where he is actually for a while just screwing around with Broly. And you're like, well, you know, when I watched the movie right. at the time, I'm like, you know, the- theoretically, we don't even need Gogeta. We could just have Whisk take care of this whole situation, but... I mean, I guess now, retroactively, we know that's not the case. So I don't know. I, like, I guess that makes me happy, but it's also like, maybe we should have had, maybe that's a bit of lore we should have had earlier on uh, in the course of Super. So to that point, and kind of going back to the Toyotaro-isms and, and playing in this world, do we feel like that was sufficiently explained as we got to the end of the arc? I mean, as I did my reread yesterday, it was that, okay, so the, the great priest was like, well, okay, so he was going to be erased, but I stepped in a little early to reincarnate him so that didn't happen. So my reading on that is independent of the great priest, there's some like universal force of nature law that was about to erase him. Is that 
everyone's reading. Whis <laughs> explains it to Goku earlier on. He does say it's like this is the only thing that will kill an angel is if they fight. And so right. the way he says it, he makes it sound like it's some natural process and not just the great priest personally stepping in all the time. So yeah, if we if we go off that, it seems like the great priest had to erase him first in order to prevent whatever that automatic process is. Maybe maybe it's just that Whis didn't want to tell Goku that his father routinely kills disobedient children. <laughs> right. My assumption was that it was the Omni King that was going to, mm. you know, enforce the law in that case, because that's what usually happens, right? That's true. And, you know, I wonder how much is he paying attention, though, or does does he have his attendants doing it? And I yeah, guess we like, could get down the side conversation about that. See, nobody nobody knows what's going on there. Like, does he actually have thoughts? You know, right? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a big mystery how those two operate together, or three now that we have two sure. on the kings. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like I feel like with how often there are. There's time travel going on. They're not paying very much attention. I mean, to me, I I just assumed it was an automatic thing. I think visually, that's what it's trying to convey. Like, as soon as he starts fighting, he starts to go like transparent already. So that that was just the way I took it. Something I was thinking of earlier, and I actually just saw this posted on our forum. I, I think it's a great question. I've thought about this before. The question on the the person was asking was, why don't um, the Dragon Ball Heroes games do more with giving crazy forms to the super characters? Are are they, you know, afraid of stepping on the toes or whatever Super does? And I feel like everyone is kind of like tiptoeing the line. Both Heroes is and Super is as well. Why isn't another universe coming? I guess it's all those questions of why doesn't Broly just show up? <laughs> why doesn't Jiren just show up? And why don't they use those characters? Are they afraid to use those characters because Heroes is also doing some things with those characters? Or is it just... Toriyama and Toyotaro, the way they work, like, no, this is the self-contained story we want to tell. I think it's just a case of trying to make the world feel lived in, I suppose. If it's supposed to be so big, do we need to start pulling in every single character ever introduced, you know, in, in, into the fold? I think in some cases it it might make sense, you know, if, you, if you're right down to the wire and you don't really have anyone to it's a cool on then maybe you would look to the other universes but i think it would probably be probably start to feel overly convenient and and very sure. fan servicey to start being like right well uh okay let's let's get hit in and and, and right well then it would in, just you know? be a heroes episode because yeah, exactly. that's what happens <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i don't think heroes has anything to do with anything that you know they're thinking about for this super plot you know sure sure heroes is off doing its own thing and they can do whatever, and it just doesn't matter. I think the other universes would have crowded what is, um, in some ways, kind of two character-driven stories in this arc. Yeah. Uh, Goku has a very specific arc that he goes through with perfecting Ultra Instinct, Mm -hmm. and Vegeta has his arc dealing with the guilt of murdering all those Namekians long ago, and then kind of putting aside his own, this is how a fight should go, versus I'm learning to fight a new way. Let's talk characters because I am very much a, a a fan of character interactions and I will often 
overlook, whether that's purposefully or ignorantly, <laughs> other things and, and important plot points, if the character beats make it worth it. Um, can can I stick with you and Vegeta for a little bit? I think we're hinting at By this with each other. Um, and I mentioned this in the summary. Vegeta begrudgingly goes off to learn wacky techniques after just specifically saying in Chapter 49, gimmicky techniques like that never actually get the job done. It was always going to take a brute force to bring down this foe. Vegeta proceeds to go to Yard Rat to learn crazy techniques. Yeah, I when you know after I, I posted that image, I didn't think that, and I, I posted it in Discord, I didn't think that that was going to pay off in the way that it did. And it, it seemed to me just kind of like a mistake at first. Right. Th- there's, there's so many, uh, I want to get to another Piccolo one too, that we feel like are contradictory character moments. And this one felt like that, but did it pay off? I think so, because in like it's either the next chapter or the chapter after that, Vegeta kind of doubles down on that. Yeah. As he's accepting his defeat right before he decides that he's going to Yardrat. Uh, so I think it was, you know, that was Vegeta's character arc was I'm very stubborn about this is how it's a fight should go brute strength. And even at the end, um, he's still like, I'm still not going to learn teleportation. I don't care about that. I don't need that. <laughs> so I don't, you know, he hasn't totally uh, changed at all. But I think it did pay off. Um, I think Vegeta is uh, in many ways the heart and soul of this arc. Mm-hmm. Um, not to speak like a hardened Vegeta fan, I do like Vegeta, but he uh, this is this is his arc to me. Does anyone want to get into the Toyo's Vegeta fanboy kind of <laughs> angle, which I never really bought or gave much credit to? I don't, I don't, I don't know. really buy it either, personally. No, that's all I have to say about it. No, <laughs> okay. I never really considered it i just found it very annoying how thoroughly he had vegeta say like don't worry i'm never ever ever going to use teleportation this is the only time don't, <laughs> this isn't going to become a regular recurring thing that will alter my character in any significant way so just relax yeah that i think that that bothered me also and especially because the way that he set it up at the beginning of the arc you know the very beginning of the arc when they're kidnapping boo mm-hmm. and they have to uh, goku and vegeta have to go help and vegeta doesn't want to go with Goku, he like he's like, I could fly there in five seconds. And Goku's like, okay, fine. <laughs> so <laughs> Goku teleports and then Vegeta flies in, right? You know, so he's got this obvious distaste for relying on Goku for that technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seemed to play into that scene when they're all fleeing the planet. And he's like, Erico, you, me, let's go. Yeah, I never, ever, ever thought for a second that he was going to go to Planet Yardra and not learn it. Yeah, you know, yeah. that was obviously the reason to bring him there. He was going to learn it. So, yeah, the explanation after that, after knowing that's why he was going there. Yeah, that was annoying. I don't know. It was worth it to see him in the trash can. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, was. I really liked uh, Vegeta in this arc. I have always had a lot of issues with Vegeta and Super because it always feels like we're going in circles with his character. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I felt like bringing it to Namek and him feeling some sort of guilt there was well done. I think when you read that kind of thing on paper, on paper, I think I, I almost look at it on paper and groan a little bit. So I'm like, ah, do we really need that? But then I think the way it was done is very subtle. Like it's, it's only a few panels. Um, he just, mm-hmm. it's, it's more an insecurity, I think, than like a, a general guilt. It's like he, he's there to do his job. And then as he's talking to an Namekian, it's almost like he kind of has to, because he's, he feels like almost just so insecure and he's like nervous. He's like, so how do you, how do you feel about me being sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like so I, Tell me I, how you feel I, about me. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I really love the way that was done. 
I think the only the only character that really really bothered me in this arc was Piccolo's writing. But like, I, I I hate to be dramatic, but I do think that character's writing was assassinated in this arc. <laughs> so um, let me guess. So there's probably two key things there. One was letting the Macarena gang just do whatever. And then second was probably Vegeta's not one to underestimate his foes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's some of that. It's, it's, it's just a combination of everything. Really. I feel like, okay. I feel like I didn't really get Piccolo the character in this arc. I think, I think, yeah, it does well, kind of Well, who should start. Piccolo be? Because we've been left with Piccolo the uncle, you know, rocking Pawn in her little carriage there or hanging out with Dende. What is Piccolo at this point? Yeah. I mean, I suppose as far as his use goes, that's a fair question. But I think what I expect from his character is that that intelligence and wit that we, we kind of got okay. used to uh, throughout the original series, at least I felt. Um, whereas in this... Uh, I feel like you can explain away some of this stuff, but I I think it did start when he lets the uh, the Earth trio get away, despite having just had a conversation about there's something going on in space, and then some of the aliens arrive, and you just let them go without really kind of delving into why that happened, <laughs> other than just glancing at a ship and going, you know what, that's fine, off you pop. Um, I think you know, kind of shortly after that, he gets grabbed immediately by seven three despite uh-huh. knowing what's happened there. And then he apologizes for being sloppy. Then you move on a little bit later. He said he has that Vegeta never underestimates his opponent line and you've never changed Goku, that kind of stuff. It all just feels so, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's like, it's like you have this strange Piccolo who's like forgotten how to fight, which you could explain away, but then also a Piccolo who doesn't know these characters. And it's really strange considering how well I think the other characters are written. I think if we look at uh, Vegeta's interactions with Moro, Vegeta has clearly stolen Piccolo's memories. So that's why Piccolo doesn't know anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is Vegeta going through the same things that Piccolo has gone through as well? I don't know, but then he's also repeating the same Buark stuff of, oh, I've come to accept that I'm going to hell. To what we were talking about, Ken, I, I liked all those lines from Vegeta, but then him acknowledging... Well, I guess it was in response to Moro then, so that was a, a fair answer of, oh, I know, I know I'm going to hell, so I'll see you there, but you're going there first, which is ultimately a pretty good Vegeta line, so I, I guess I'll take it. And also it. specifically uh, Vegeta doing the exact same thing with Piccolo and Cell with Moro, where it's, yeah. you know, before you kiss it, so I'm going to die anyway, you might as well tell me your whole evil plan. Sure. Do we want to get into that? Let's talk about some of the callbacks that we've we've had throughout this arc that are maybe a bit gratuitous there's so much more i want to talk about and i'm glad i i have this group here and let's see how long i keep this group <laughs> with me <laughs> i'm but, all caffeinated and ready to go all right excellent so Same. callbacks i like i don't even know where to begin i guess you begin at the end with giving more of the sensu and we just trail all the way back to the beginning of the arc um what were some of those examples that stuck out to you all and was it okay or was it too much? I mean, well, Mauro himself, like his little backstory is Piccolo and Mutaito. You know, he's been, he was, went on a rampage yeah. a zillion years ago. He got sealed away. Now he's been let out. Uh, his uh, his um, interaction with Cranberry, that's basically Piccolo and Pilaf. And then, you know, he, get, he makes the wish to, in his case, it's to get his magic power back. But it's the same kind of thing as Piccolo wishing to be young again. So I think that kind of started off the arc with, I mean, I like I like the whole Piccolo Mutaito backstory and think that, you know, most fans today 
Well, a significant chunk of fans today still aren't familiar with anything pre-Raditz, so... I mean, there's some good stuff pre-Reddit, so they might as well recycle it. I just didn't really care in the end. It's funny, I, reading monthly, I would pick up on all of these callbacks, and yeah. I would be like, oh, can we have something original? And I think I think this does kind of uh, sum up my, my thoughts on the arc as a whole, and that like reading it monthly, I picked up on loads of little things that didn't really matter in the end, because overall... It's quite good, I think. Uh, and, I, and I felt like that with the callbacks. There are so many of them, but when you mush them all together, I felt like I got something that was its own thing. And maybe that's being too kind, but I okay. I walked away yesterday having finished that reread like, you know what, fine. That, yeah, that, that felt like <laughs> its own distinct arc, despite the fact you could sit there and go, that's from that, that's from that, that's from that. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. You just chuck it all in a stew and it's another dish. I just want you all to know that Heath just texted me because he doesn't want to put some audio in and says, I agree with AJ. So there you go. Oh. Thank, thanks, <laughs> Heath. That's not fair. I said I completely agree with AJ. Are, oh, my just, God. Are you recording? Because what am I going to do with this audio? <laughs> Actually, I am. But it is a very long line of nothing. Okay. So enjoy. To kind of follow up on what AJ is saying, I thought that reading this arc in one go was a completely different experience. It absolutely was. Yes, it really is. And like, I remember when we were reading monthly, and this is only a few months ago now, when uh, Merusu disappears, Mm -hmm. I really didn't care. And I guess I can chalk that up to every month coming out and we're more focused in discussing what's going on with Goku and Vegeta, what is Piccolo saying, and we're not paying attention (laughs) to this character. But when you read it all in one go... And it's like he he's an actual force in the story. And when you get to him disappearing, it it, hit, it hits you. It hit me, at least. <laughs> oh, dude, yes. In a totally different way, yeah. I so agree. Like, I, I, w- when we got to that sacrifice moment reading monthly, I was just like, I don't know this character. Who is this character? Why do I care about this? And then I'm, I, I reread the arc yesterday, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> like, what a great <laughs> character. He's, he is all over this story and he, he has his own little thought on it's all great. And wow, does that really hit you when he goes? I loved it. I do want to talk more about characters and Medusu and Moro specifically, but to that, that, that's a great point about the reading it as a, as a whole here. And that's why I like re- recording, um, arc reviews. Uh, I feel like we all said when we got to the, all right, so the gang comes to Earth to fight, and then they're like, no, we're going to wait for them to train. Then they leave. Then they come back again, and that's when the whole gang gets enlisted in the Galactic Patrol. That seemed to be the point where everyone went, all right, here we go. This is like the end of the Trunks arc where we're going to be here for probably eight months. But rereading it as a whole, like, yeah, it still slowed down there, but it kept moving for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, I was surprised that the pacing issues I found with this arc Right towards the start, I felt like we were on Namek for ages. And as soon as we got off of Namek and that stuff was kind of done away with, mm-hmm. we just zoomed through to the end. And I, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. That's, oh man, that's so interesting. Because I feel like the the beginning of the arc has the best pacing where something like major stuff is just constantly happening, but but at a good pace. And yeah, we're there for a while. Hmm. All right. It wouldn't be Namek if we weren't there. <laughs> that, well, I think it was enough. just the the, <laughs> the the endless fighting. I think I just started to get a bit bored of of. Okay. Clicking through action panels. Well, we have a lot of that. All right, they fight and then they lose and then they're still in the same place and then they fight again and then they decide, all right, no, we lost. All right, we're going to regroup and then we're going to fight again. Like we had multiple fights there. We had the multiple fights on Earth waiting for everyone. 
Um, I, I just want to wrap up. Is, does anyone have any other strong feelings about this? Felt like it was such an important issue as it was coming up monthly, but the gratuitous callbacks. And now, as we're talking it through, we're like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> well, some the I mean, the big gratuitous callback I don't care for is Roshi's behavior. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Even if it did lead to him fighting blindfolded, which I thought was awesome. I agree. Those is that the best you can do with it? But then why even go there? But I guess you get that out of it. I don't know. I think there's a part in the Cell arc when uh, Tenshinhan flies off to go help uh, against Cell. Yeah. And uh, Roshi almost says something that's kind of like announcing his retirement, that he's really, he's done. Sure. He's like, remember back when I was the most yeah, yeah. powerful martial or something like that. And ever since Resurrection F, they keep trying to just jam him back into the action. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works. Like it was the in Toyotaro's Tournament of Power about him kind of using like a proto. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> and and that's cool. But it's if you have this galactic threat coming to Earth, why is he the guy you call and not Gotenks, who's off on a monster island? Well, to be fair, they brought 18 and 17 in for that, and we get a totally normal Yamcha here, like, not the butt yes. of any joke, like, he's just effective, and he does well, and yeah, I guess Goku comes in and, and helps him, and saves him in the end, but he's just doing a good job. I love that, like, we're here to help you, Agent Yamcha. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and Goku's like, did you you beat all these guys? And Yamcha's like, yeah, we could, of course. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I mean, that, that reminds me a lot of something I, I was thinking about when I was reading, which is about, like, character agency. Um, and I, uh-huh. think, I think this is also kind of on the subject of callbacks as well, because it's a callback of structure, which is where you have Moro kind of take a back seat and you have, um, you have like Sagambo and his like crew as like the mini boss or the mini bosses kind of like, you know, the, the Ginyu force and and Nappa or whatever. Um, and I, and I feel like in those arcs, um, the characters lose their agency kind of because Goku comes in and just sweeps done. Whereas in this, um, yeah, he kind of does that ish, but in the case of someone like Sagambo, for example, you know, he, he doesn't really, beat him you know Moro just keeps powering him up and up and up until he can't take it anymore and I, I feel like that's a subtle difference that I really enjoyed uh you know it, it's it's something we've seen before but it's it's slightly different um and I, and I felt like that a lot with uh with the way the side battles were structured like I think uh like for example the the tension Han battle you know it could have just been um, oh, you have to insult, you know, Metalman. That's the gag again. But it was kind of flipped, and it's like, oh, Tenjinhan doesn't know how to insult people, so now Chaozu has to come in and and save the day a bit. Oh, you know, it's. it's I, I was thinking like that's actually Chaozu's character that I feel like we haven't had since the twenty second Budokai. Yeah, it's wonderful stuff. Um, and it could have so easily have just been the same gag over and over again. I was gonna say that. Uh my reread experience has been very different from everybody else's because I have been writing chapter summaries for the wiki. Yeah. So it's like an extra grind and it took me like, yeah, it's slow. It took me about a month to get through it because I have problems with brevity. Anyway, <laughs> um, the, the part where everybody on earth has to fight was where I got excited. I, I was having fun and you know, I'd already read it. I read it as it came out every month. Sure. Um, but I was just, you know, I would read the chapter every month and then forget about it until the next one came out. So I loved that. And I love the Chiaotzu bit in particular. And um, he really did find a legitimate use for Chiaotzu that yeah, yeah. wasn't just like forcing him in there. But where I really checked out of that was just Sagambo mm-hmm. himself. 
Because like you said, Goku came in and cleaned up. So I guess they felt like they had to give him, you know, somebody below Moro to deal with. It took him a little bit more time, but it was just boring. Let's talk about all these other characters, because there's there's some important ones. In fact, one leads directly into the, the new next arc right now. Of most importance are probably just, yeah, Sagambo and 7-3. And we've got some others. We've got Shimareka. We've got Yunba, and they're they're all fine. Um, Sagambo really slowed things down <laughs> there at that part in the story. Uh, let's talk about the designs of these characters, and then that can ultimately lead us into Medusu and, and Moro. Um, were these Dragon Ball characters? I think is the only way I, I can phrase this question. I think they're Dragon Ball GT characters. <laughs> hmm. Which is fine. I mean, uh, we know Toyotaro's a fan of GT. It's just when you look at uh, even just at Moro's ship, that is yeah. a very... GT inspired design versus um, God, it's so things. funny you say that because like when I was reading this arc and we were going from like planet to planet and seeing there's a different stuff in space and along with the the new chapter where we're like off doing other space stuff I was thinking like this is very GT but I'm kind of enjoying it it's a grand tour but yeah I mean design wise I think it kind of varies um, I think you have stuff like 7-3 who's just you know hit with horns and black eyes you know whatever it's fine um I do agree. Someone like Sagambo is straight out of GT. Um, I don't think there was anyone who I would say didn't feel like Dragon Ball other than maybe Moro himself, who I just struggled to place anywhere in, in Dragon Ball. I like his design, but I... It, Moro it is from Digimon. <laughs> <laughs> is it? All right. Well, the planet to planet thing may be GT like, but all of the planets were uh, inspired by something mm-hmm. that came from Toriyama. Well, not necessarily from Toriyama. Some of it was filler. Like, uh, Katerapi, his planet was in there somewhere. And then there was the planet Zune, except for Toyotaro also used the anime filler designs for some of Babidi's henchmen, put them on the planet too, even though those designs weren't in the manga. We just had Pui Pui. Yeah, what the hell was with Zoom? Why was that even there? I, I guess you just, I want to use a real place that's been mentioned. Um, yeah, exactly. And he also used a Toriyama setting design for GT uh, that was never used in the show for the planet where the girls were fighting the, the energetic beast as Viz translated it. Got it. Um, so everything was taken from something, you know, because I guess because you only have 28 planets left, you have to pretend <laughs> like there's only <laughs> unlimited number. <laughs> sure. I was thinking about why why planet Zune, but I think Pui Pui is so instantly recognizable yeah. that you see his, his, his species, and then at the end, when they wish everyone back, to kind of signal, oh, all the other planets are back too, they show Zune again. And I think it's just a, it's a, something for the, the audience to latch on to. Okay, all right. We got to stop there because, yeah, everyone's back. What was that deal with like, all right, the Namekians have been dead for a while, but I guess their life force was strong oh, enough God. that just the dissipating energy. That was okay. really strange. <laughs> I thought the weirdest bit was the line that was something along the lines of like the Dragon Balls. This wasn't verbatim, but it was essentially like the Dragon Balls stopped their bodies from decaying or something like incredibly morbid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and the Dragon Balls were supposedly dead, right? You know, because they had just been used. So they were just rocks. But 
they kept everybody from rotting. It's one of those things, somehow. like, the more he tries to talk his way out of it, the worse <laughs> it gets. <laughs> Thank you, Magical Rocks. I was, I was so sure that Toyotaro was going to make those that group of Namekians coming back uh, a plot point, because mm. w- why do it at all if the rest of them just get wished back later? And I still think maybe, maybe it's, I'm <laughs> hopeful, maybe it's not a Namekian Book of Legends situation and we'll get payoff later. I wish I just saved a picture of you just looking off to the side with your fingers crossed. That was so good. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Something I'd love to ask you guys about, I guess it's off the back of, of talking about designs, is about the moves these characters had. Um, something that I really enjoyed about the fights with these these guys was that there was some degree of strategy to them. In some cases, it was just, you know, punching wins, but there was there was like a layer to it. Like, for example, when uh, Gohan and Piccolo take on 7-3, uh, they, they realize, yeah. you know, if we, if we take him on one by one, he's just going to keep swapping between our different absorbed powers and it'll just be a stalemate. But if we fight together, then we'll, we'll beat him. And that's when you get that cool Masenko-Sapo thing, which was just great. Um, or, you, you know, you have the, the Krillin fight where he, you know, flings a load of those Kienzan and just, like, anticipates that the enemy will dodge and just, like, vanishes and uses, like, an afterimage thing to, like, you know, trick him. Like, there was a lot of cool stuff like that that um, I just really enjoyed and it, and it was necessitated by these unusual moves that the enemies had. I thought that was really cool. Was that the first time he used the homing Kienzan? That's a great question. I believe so. That's, that stood out to me in this reread was, oh, Frieza. Because, yeah, it was a Frieza thing, yeah. I mean, you have to imagine uh, he's perfected it. You know, he's no, been training. No, he used it in the super anime. Uh, well, that's not canon. What now? <laughs> <laughs> we, I feel like we're dancing around the main the main antagonist who, I forget who said it earlier, was taking the backseat to everything, but Moro, yeah. So he's the main villain of this arc, and we're talking about everyone but him um we have a, a great interview that ian cypher translated on the site um with toriotaro talking about how he designed moro how he uh, ended up going with this goat design and did this like inverted antler kind of thing um moro is certainly an interesting design aj you were you were saying that i, I think you feel like you can't place him as a, a dragon ball character at all no he's just so weird looking i don't know like we, we've obviously had designs that are you know related to animals in a way or slugs <laughs> um, but uh yeah i don't know he just something about him never really stood as dragon ball to me until you got to his final form thing where he just kind of looks a bit silly and at that point you know i just lost a bit of interest in him visually so i don't know i don't know that it was necessarily a bad thing that he wasn't dragon ball-y but uh, i definitely didn't look at him and would immediately go yeah, that's from that's definitely from Dragon Ball. He does look exactly like a Digimon called Mephismon, who's based on Mephistopheles. Okay, which I don't. I mean, I think they're just drawing from the same source because it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of generic goat type yeah. demon. Despite the fact that he actually, in my case, probably because he looks so much like a Digimon, I did like his design. <laughs> At least, yeah, I think I like AJ. Once he becomes Cell with horns, it's a little bit... I like. I wanted to keep more of the goat features because we haven't had a, a main antagonist who looked that much like an animal. So that felt new. Yeah, I, I love the long snout and the times that he would kind of like take a deep breath and look up at the sky and talk. Uh, I think the stuff with him, I, the framings of him I like the most are his conversations with Cranberry uh, on Namek, where Cranberry's like, 
trying to talk his way out of the situation. He's like, oh, you can just tell things. Oh, and Moro will just like side eye him. I love that stuff. That's when he looked his so best. I like his, I like his early designs. I like his abilities, but he has no personality besides being an evil guy who's evil. Is that okay, though? Uh, well, it's not what I want. But... I mean, c- coming off of our conversations about Jiren in the previous arc. Yeah, it has been a while in Super since we've had a, a, a new main antagonist who's just straight up bad. I mean, we had Beerus, who's neutral, mm-hmm. and then Frieza, who isn't a new character, but he is straight up evil. And then, well, I mean, we, ha- okay, then there's the tournament arc, and then Black and Zamas. But so that was, I mean, they at least, they felt new. They had more motivation to them besides, I don't know what, I don't know what Moro's motivation is besides he wants to rule the universe and eat planets. I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not gratuitously terrible, but it is, it's, I would, I would, I hope that the next arc, the villain has more to him than that. Torama's had the thing he says where it's like, oh, I kind of try and give the bad guys something likable about them. And so with Moro, I don't think there's anything like that to latch on to his personality. I thought it was a misstep not to give him a backstory having to do with the gods of destruction, given that his whole thing is he wants to eat planets. I think it was a misstep not to give him any any backstory besides the fact that he was put in prison. I mean, where did he come from? I was going to say, oh, it turns into a revenge arc, but he doesn't really go for revenge against Daikaioshin. Like, he's happy to kick his ass, but he doesn't focus on that. Well, he's a forgive-and-forget type guy. I think I might be largely with Mike on this, if I'm grasping his opinion. It's that, like... <laughs> yeah, I love how you're like, I don't know what Mike thinks! Oh. You got a hint at it, something I think I agree with, and I'm not sure. <laughs> and it's it's that, I think, like, I, I personally agree with everything that Jake has just said. He There should have been something more to him. But then I, I think about the stuff like what you're talking about, where it's like he, he there's something to the way he talks and acts that kind of makes me forget that he doesn't have much to him. Like, I love that side-eye stuff. I do love the bit with, with Cranberry where he's like, you can't lie to me. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I love how yeah, he spends yeah. just like the entire arc just being really cheesy with silly food puns because it... It reminds me a lot of the stuff I really enjoyed from uh, Goku Black in, in the anime version, where he won't shut up about main meals and delicious stuff and whatever. Sure. I don't know. I just I really enjoy that stuff, and so I felt like even though he, as a character, has nothing to him, he has a presence that meant that I didn't find him just plain boring. My favorite Moro is Planet Moro. After he absorbs or becomes one with the planet, and he goes crazy. He just talks in crazy laughs and. <laughs> Nothing yeah, else. that's great. I love it. That's my favorite Which again word. is, you know, self-destruction Cell. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I don't know, with Cell, the going crazy bit was just really quick. I don't know. I guess it's kind of drawn from that, but it amused me. I do like all this, the giant hands he has at the end. That is pretty good. And, and we get one of the best moments probably in the entire arc, which is Whis not even looking, just finger off to the side, like, oh, we're still at that level, aren't we? Okay. (laughs) To the point earlier about we could just shut everything down, but well, I guess he can't. And that was in self-defense. And that was just, it's not even like Moro's not even a nuisance to Weiss. I, I like that. I, I am not one for the, the scaling, but I think that really helps uh, keep things in perspective. Weiss is the angels are still just that much better angels. We have to talk 
but Medusu. Um, I, I know there are some people on the call who are not fans of the haircut, and I would like to say that those people are wrong. He has a wonderful design, and he is a good boy, and no one can talk badly about my son, Medusu. I love Miris. I like to design his design a lot better after Jocko pointed it out. I don't really like his design. I mean, his design is fine. You know, he's a little bit nerdy. That's fine. But I love the character. What do you like about his character? I, I enjoyed him a lot. I, I liked him a lot early on because of the Galactic Patrol stuff. They telegraphed from the start that <laughs> we all knew he was going to be related to an angel in, in some kind of way. And, you know, what capacity, who knows? But you know, right off the bat, we, we kind of got that. Um, so for me, it was the Galactic Patrol lore. Like, oh, he's in charge of 104 sectors. You know, he's the best. This is awesome. Um, what about him to to you was um, was special, Therese? I don't know. He was just, uh, he was like the adult in the room guy who was very unassuming, you know, no mm-hmm. arrogance there, just a really nice guy. Uh, Got the job done. Stuff the together. Yeah. Um, and he, he wasn't boring. You know, you'd think a character like that would be boring, but he never was. He was just kind of comforting, you know? Do you think that was coming from Toriyama or, or Toriotaro? Because we know Toriotaro designed him. Um, do you think anything from Toriyama was coming through in there? I don't, I, probably not. Not much anyway. Um, but that's fine. I love the mystique around him. Mm-hmm. In a way that I feel like this is where tar- uh, Toyotaro messed up hard on uh, Zamasu and Black. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of mystery in his telling of that story. But here, very early on, you start sprinkling in that maybe uh, Merusu knows more than he should. Yes. Like he knows about Boo splitting. Um, he, uh, I, there was something else I don't have written down here, but he, he was just, he knew things he shouldn't know. Ultra instincty kind of things. Yeah, he knew who Goku and Vegeta were, which right, was, yeah. you know, like the Goku and Vegeta. Yeah, but I loved Vegeta's little asides, you know, in the beginning when he was still mysterious. Mm-hmm. Vegeta was the one who was freaking out about his obvious power, you know. I think we get a lot of good moments with him with regard to power, whether it's Vegeta's comments, whether it's that scene where Goku goes in for the hit. And Jocko's like, you were really going in for a hit. It's like, yes, I was going in for a hit. That's the point of what I just did. Um, I, I think all those moments with Menusu really lent him the authority, which I think backs up where we go with that character, which was good. But to your point, Trez, he's just a nice guy. <laughs> he's genuinely a good dude. You know, he came here to learn and he found a sense of justice. And he's just trying to do right by the world while also trying to do his job. I it's admirable. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite uh, component of it. Like, I just think in in any type of media, like celestial beings having like moral conflicts is just like the coolest thing ever. Um, and yeah. I, I agree. Like the, the the showcases of power really really cool. I think the standout for me was um, when the when they were in the room of spirit and time, and like they're about to go all out, and like the the like angel like halo thingy like around his neck starts to appear, and then they get cut off. Uh-huh. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I really yeah, enjoyed yeah. that stuff. And uh, yeah, Team Bullcut, that stuff is great. <laughs> <laughs> Team Bullcut, is that what we're doing? Hashtag yep. on this one? I think one of my favorite things Marisu does is when he pulls out his staff and then uses it as a rifle. Yeah, it's so good. I'm sorry, if you're going to say Team Bullcut, we should probably clarify that we are not white supremacists, because that's a white supremacist thing. Oh. <laughs> All right, don't oh. do that. <laughs> no, never mind. Yeah. Team Bullcut, the block fringe. <laughs> yeah, not as catchy. <laughs> 
talking about the the weapon, I think that ties back to that like triple panel I was talking about earlier where he's coming down in for the hit. Um, he just does, he's got good motion. He's twirling the staff around. Those were the kinds of things where I felt the movement from Toyotaro on the page there, usually involving Mirosuf, So Yeah, the whole yeah. chapter was amazing. I'm one to probably read too much into things. Um, but on this reread, I thought that maybe there's a, a kind of follow through with Merosu that might be foreshadowing something with Whis in that when, when Whis is talking about how, how can Goku beat Moro now that he's become one with the planet mm-hmm. and Whis says like, I know what he needs to do, but can he figure it out? And then he's content to just watch. But then as he gets called away by the grand priest, he stops and pops over and makes a point. Goku, here's what you need to do before leaving and mm-hmm. interfering in a way that kind of maybe goes against what the grand priest would, would prefer. How much this is getting ahead of ourselves literally, but how much are we going to do with Mr. Priest, especially compared to, I think over to the heroes model where Goku goes and trains with the great priest and comes back in his outfit. You know, now that heroes has already done that is, is that a route we can go over here is, is, that was always going to be a little bit too much fan service for yeah. Super, I think. Yeah, so yeah. that's why it's in Heroes. Too obvious. Yeah. So, Ken, so where do you think that's going then? Is it rather than me trying to guess? You tell me. I want ramifications, more ramifications with these with these gods. You know, if because we don't have ramifications for Dragon Balls and and life anymore. So, is this where you go with that? Yeah, and it's we've we've gone into the multiverse now, right? So, yeah. the a logical progression of that is to explore mo- more of of the gods. Where can you move beyond what the multiverse is? Move into a realm beyond that. And uh, I would like to see more, you know, early, early, early on in the series, uh, at least in the anime, maybe not so much in the manga, uh, Whis is training, accepts to train Vegeta as a future god of destruction. Where Mm -hmm. is that storyline ever going to pick up again? Where I just want to see more of the gods. I was really glad, though, that in this arc, there there was no Omni King until the very end. Yeah, yeah. I think he's someone who you want to sprinkle in. And even Whis and, and Beerus go something like seven chapters not appearing in this story. And it was just nice to have a break from them for a little bit. But I do want to start seeing, now that we've seen what can happen with Merusu, like wh- where can we take that further with these gods? I feel like I have three questions <laughs> going off of what you just said there. Uh, I, the main one would be, all right, we want to see... What, what they can do with the angels and the storytelling around there. But it's ultimately always going to come back to Goku and Vegeta. So is the on, only angle left there being that Vegeta becomes a god of destruction? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. What would you do with a story like that that still comes back to our two heroes here? I don't know. I think... Oob, eventually. <laughs> I think a lot of stuff that comes to my mind has kind of been done in heroes in, in, in a way um i feel like mm-hmm. as soon as you introduce the idea of like gods and angels you then start thinking about well, what about like fallen angels and tainted gods and whatever and, and yeah, at yeah. that point it's hard not to think about how the characters are now you know reaching godly powers so at this point do we then need to have our characters start involving themselves in like trials and tribulations that the, the gods and angels would normally face and have them team up together and fight stuff like that but isn't that kind of what heroes did with like the demon realm stuff? I don't know. I just read that manga and I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that super can do its own version of a God story. That's 
less fan servicey and maybe a little bit less shallow than heroes. Probably. They just have to come up with a good idea. You know, they're not going to go off in a fan servicey direction just because, you know, they know the fans want more of the gods. Yeah, I mean, the hero's take is always going to be throw a million characters into the story to make it work. Like, let's bring in all the gods of destruction and Jiren and hits there. I mean, I do want them in the long run to do something more with the great priest, but I don't really know what that is. I mean, I don't want him to be evil. That would be stupid, but I'm not sure what. Sure. I guess I can't think off the top of my head what an interesting angle would be beyond him training Goku or him being evil. So, yeah, we just have to right. hope... Which half of that's already been done. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably have to have something to do with whatever his job is, you know. What does he actually do besides sure. babysit the Omni Kings? You know, does he have any kind of plan for, you know, how uh, events should go in the universes? Is he overseeing the gods in any particular kind of way? And we don't really know the answers to any of those questions, so it's hard to <laughs> right. come up with what the plot would be, you know? I want to talk about the future of the series, but also talk about the story at the same time. Um, I feel like the angle there is Oob, who we've had mentioned before. Oob was mentioned in the television series, and Toriyataro made a bigger effort to show him uh, earlier on, and he he's a character in this arc. I mean, not much, but he's certainly there and has his moments. Um, the elephant in the room is always... Are we going to get to end of Z? And as we see in the next arc, well, we probably have something before the 28th Tenkaichi Budokai. Uh, is is Oob a potential character for Toyotaro? What do you guys think? I personally doubt it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really expect... Fan service callback? Is that all he was for this? No, I wouldn't call it a fan service callback. I, I, I think he was, you know, genuinely trying to recontextualize, hmm. uh, the, the epilogue of Dragon Ball. So it wasn't, it wasn't just for fan service or a callback. It was just, you know, kind of helping fans to get to the place where they can see the epilogue of Dragon Ball as being something that really does incorporate everything that has happened in Super. You know, and these characters truly are that strong. Oob is that important. I know that's been a somewhat common criticism. Yeah, and a lot of people expected there to be a time skip after this arc and yeah, to go straight to why. the epilogue. Yeah, yeah, and I never really expected Oob to be in the next arc. Maybe it is hard for them to do anything. Maybe it is hard for them to make Oob a main character without it seeming too much like GT. That's true, and they're also not there yet, so they can't do too much well, I mean, with them. So, you know, in the long term. It, yeah, yeah. If angels live forever, why do they need trainee angels? Are there going to be? Are there? Are question. they making more universes or so? So they need like more angels. Is that going to be a future plot point? Maybe there are other angels that do like completely different things that we don't more know admin about. Angels, middle management angels. I don't know. It's the drop plot point about the previously destroyed uh, universes thirteen or eighteen. Well, there used to be eighteen, so six of them were yeah. destroyed. So did he come from that? Who knows? It's too much, <laughs> too much to get into with that. Uh, I actually, you know, we were talking about characters earlier. I want to talk about Cranberry a little bit. I feel like this was peak Toyotaro where he took a character that was on the side of a page and made him a named real character in this arc. Um, I actually loved that and, and Cranberry became one of my favorite characters in this arc just for that reason. Like you truly knew 
his motivations and his history. And we got that awesome two page bonus chapter explaining like, and he was the one who Zarvon kicked and <laughs> killed. And now he's back. Like that's really, really dumb. That's equally really, really awesome that you pulled that character and, and brought him into this arc. I mean, speaking of villain motivation, I mean, he's just a guy who wants to get away. I think it makes the, the universe of Dragon Ball feel more alive, especially knowing that Cranberry was alive this whole time. We've seen him before. And mm-hmm. also the entire time the series has been going, he met Jocko off page. Yeah, yeah. And he got locked up. And yeah, yeah. And he's been telling all these other guys about this crazy planet with Dragon Balls. Yeah, and they recontextualize even Frieza's mission to Namek saying, hey, this is top secret. Yeah. Changing how many people were supposed to know about that, even though in the anime there's like 700 people who come with Frieza. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. No, I really like that stuff. If it's it's a very One Piece, like, Oda thing to do. It's like, hey, remember that one guy from like a bajillion chapters yeah, yeah. ago? Yeah, he's now relevant and a thing. Like, I don't know. I think that stuff's cool. And I don't know that you often see it in Dragon Ball. So, yeah, it was, it was refreshing. Yeah, I don't want to see it again. I, I liked it this one time. That was fine. I definitely don't Esco want to do it. was another example of that, though, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I totally missed that, though. Yeah, he just, apparently, he's based off of, uh, like, he appears for one panel at the end of the Boo arc when they go get the Dragon Balls. And it seems like they're friends, so that's good. Him and Dende. That's good but, stuff. I, I like that Dende actually has <laughs> a friend. If we're going back to characters, I have a couple of questions um like to, to, to pick yeah. your brains on how did you feel this is gonna be a very leading question <laughs> how did you feel about some of the arguably flanderization of of some of these characters um i give one example that that bothered me a little bit um and that's with android 18 who is essentially for the entire arc all she really says is money 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 and when they're in a really bad situation and it's meant to be like really serious right at the end, all she has to say is, I'm not being paid enough for this. And that was kind of it. I don't know. I, I just sticking with her real quick. I feel like it's been that way since the nineties though. I mean, you think to something like movie 11, which is, yeah, <laughs> we're looking we'll for that, that, If that's the model they're using, if they're going off movie 11, we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> all right hey, hey. <laughs> i know we have some fans well, here so this is the thing that that popped into my head where it's that toyotaro i think can quite often struggle to decide whether he's writing characters in the spirit of the original manga or whether he's taking toei versions of of things and and i think yeah, that yeah. was really clear for me with um a very specific section for goku i think for the 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 majority of the arc is absolutely fine, but I think when he first arrives back on Earth, it's it's almost like you get Toriyama's Goku and then a Toei Goku back to back. You know, he 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 sets down. He's very serious, um, and he talks about like this is what I've trained for. You know, I don't know much about Moro. Really need to be careful. And you can sort of just feel that tension building up. It reminds me so much of like the the freezer arc. Where he has a very serious uh, discussion with the gang um, when he's finally cleared the the Guinea people away. And that's here in the Moro section. And then it just is entirely dissipated by Krillin asking you, like, are you not worried? And Goku's just like, waku waku, I'm really excited. And like, I get it. That's part of his character. But it feel, it felt to me, at least, like something Toei Goku would say. And when I say Toei Goku, I'm talking about modern Toei Goku, because obviously old Toei Goku is a lot more superhero-y, whereas now they've gone all the way in the other, other direction. Yeah, we've we've gone from like Toriyama Goku to Koyama Goku to 
by committee Toei yeah. Goku for sure. Uh, I mean, going off that, Toyotaro is probably in a pretty tough place. I mean, as a fan who grew up on it, all of those Gokus are within him and are a part of him and probably influence the way he writes that character. Meanwhile, you have the person who wrote him coming in and revising dialogue and ears. Like he's, <laughs> he's in a really tough position. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess, I suppose it depends like what you've been consuming lately as far as how much that stuff bothers you. I think I've been doing a lot of manga stuff um, in my personal time. So I think reading that sort of hard switch was like, oh, rah, right, okay, which, which Goku is this? Okay. It didn't bother me, but it did stand out to me in that moment. In my notes here, I even wrote down second Waku Waku of the arc. <laughs> because, because this whole arc, it's been such a totally different Goku, toned down into the situation. Mm-hmm. This is dangerous. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go, how this is going to play. And then the two times he does say Waku Waku, I think he's training with uh, Merusu, and then when he's talking to Kuririn, and it's... Mm-hmm. So it didn't bother me so much because there's been so little of that with Goku in this arc. But yeah, it's definitely, it did kind of take me aback when I read it. I know uh, Terez has thoughts on how Toyotaro writes Goku's dialogue. You said my name wrong. Dang it. It's Terez. Yeah, but you say everything wrong, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my problem with Goku is just that he talks too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's there's so many times when he's just saying stuff that's not necessarily very Goku-like, and he didn't really have to say anything at all. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could have been left unspoken, and a lot of dialogue that just doesn't do anything. It's like filler, you Mm. know? Like, Goku is saying things, and now he's saying things, and none of it's important. Yeah. Um, But a lot of it comes out as just being very out of character, you know? Would, Would Goku really say that? Yeah, I do know what you mean with that. Um and it did remind me a little bit of, of a sort of general criticism I had, which is about that kind of fluff dialogue. And I, th- I think it speaks to whether Dragon Ball works in this long format, you know, 45 pages, whatever it is now. I was going to say, I, at some point I had done the math on how many pages this arc was. I mean, well, for this arc, you can easily do it because we know how many pages each chapter are. Um, but in comparison to things like the Boo arc and the Cell arc, and like this is a long arc, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Like when I, so when I when I was going back over like the original manga, like I said, I've been doing a lot of reading of that lately. I noticed, or, or was rather quite taken aback by how so much of the fighting is relegated to just a couple of pages, and then you're back somewhere else yeah. with, with more narrative. Whereas mm-hmm. with this format that that Super's in, you know, you you have that that same structure but everything is drawn out and so like i can almost feel toyotaro like right i'm doing i've done like 10 to 15 pages of fighting now and he's had to like throw in dialogue obviously in there so you're literally not just staring at panels for the entire time (laughs) just drawings um but a lot of that dialogue is kind of like what um therese was saying where it's just strange observations or like out of character things just very generic shonen fluffy oh he's so strong oh impossible he's just that kind of stuff you know i it, it's one of the things i like i understand but i don't i just i'm just like ah this you know it's the limitations of the format what do you do about that i also felt like uh the goku fluffing up vegeta thing went a little bit too far sometimes and you know i like it when goku is proud of vegeta that's great that's 
Very good. But sometimes he just kind of gushes about it and it's a little bit weird. I was just running some quick math. <laughs> so if we assume that an original Dragon Ball chapter was... It's like 14 pages. We're a little, you know, we're between 50 and 60 pages per month of the original Dragon Ball. Toyotaro's doing 45, so it's actually fewer pages than the original run would be monthly. But it is a monthly story. And AJ, I think you're totally right where Toyotaro's looking at this. This is the span of pages I have to fill. And my fights can't just be <laughs> three pages and that's it. That's Again, I, I've already said, but that's a really tough position to be in. I don't envy Toyotaro. Yeah, it's really hard because it's, I think, because when, when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, is it really that different? Because he's kind of, like you were saying, he's, he's, he's doing less, he's doing fewer pages. But the way you structure a story, the way you place cliffhangers yeah. in certain moments changes so dramatically. It's so hard that you can't like... So it's 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 a tough one to try and think about uh, on a sort of equivalent level. Every chapter has to end with dun dun dun. <laughs> next chapter coming on the twentieth twenty first, uh, as opposed to the original Dragon Ball, where it'd be like, I, I guess that was the chapter. Go ahead, Ken. AJ, I'd feel remiss not to talk about Boruto here. During the run of this arc, AJ put out a video going through the Boruto anime. Wait, wait, hold up. AJ, AJ does videos. <laughs> he does. He did. Once in a blue moon. But I watched it, and it's a great video. You should check it out. And it got me to go and read the Boruto manga, which runs in, I guess it ran in Shonen Jump, Weekly Shonen Jump, for a little bit, or, or ever, like once a month. And then now it's in V-Jump. And uh, so it comes out same day as Super. So every day that comes out, I, or every, yeah, every month, I read that and, and Super on the same day. And for a long stretch, it was... Boruto, I think, is like the shining golden example of how you should pace a monthly story. Yeah, I agree. And I should probably clarify for listeners going, what the hell? The bad things you've heard about that story are most likely from the anime. And if you don't like the manga, fair enough. But please don't think we're crazy for saying that. It's a very different product. <laughs> um, but no, I do I do agree. And I think I know where you're going with this, where it's like that, that story, the way that's structured, I guess doesn't really have the same issues that Super does. So may, yeah, maybe it is a a case of how you how you write things differently because i i guess i guess the differences there are that boruto is i think first and foremost exposition exposition there are many layers to the story there's a lot of dialogue a lot of character work and the action either comes in chunks um or it's like a little bit here and there whereas i think with the way dragon ball is you know, it's an action first story. So I guess maybe that, that changes things. Yeah. He has to put emphasis on, on different areas. I don't know. It's scary. It's because that's also a, a sequel series by a successor. I fell off the Naruto TV series and the filler before the filler before Majin Sasuke. So <laughs> I have no idea what <laughs> any of this is. Um, but yeah, for those who are following both, um, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of comparisons you could probably draw there. I have some notes about the passage of time in this arc. <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah, uh, the Devil's Corpse and I were going on about this yesterday as I, I started my reread yesterday. And it's just really confusing about how much time is passing from like you have when Bulma steps in to say one week has passed since uh, Goku and Vegeta left Earth. And then it's unclear how long they were knocked out. It's unclear exactly how long they were asleep because Murray uses, he says three he says days, three days yeah. but are those Namekian days? What is a Namekian day? <laughs> how can we interpret that? If they don't uh, specify, you have to assume it's Earth. Yep. 
Yeah. Viz's translation of, of something Piccolo says later was, it's been a few days since I stopped sensing Goku and Vegeta. And then it's like, what what is Merusu doing while after he drops Boo off at Galactic Patrol headquarters? And then it's like, he it takes him no time at all to get from there to Namek when he shows up suddenly. So it's just very confusing about where things are located in space, how long it takes people to get there, how much time has passed, when did the time pass in different spots but from there it's pretty good it's one week uh like it takes them one week to get from new namek to yardrat uh yuriko and vegeta mm-hmm. uh vegeta lands on yardrat a few days pass and then goku goes to train with Merusu. they train for two months jocko buys them uh, a month and some change with some right, great bluffing right. yep, yep so he can watch an anime movie and then uh and then where i get so gohan says we've already gathered earth's dragon balls which they don't ever address what they do with them. I assume they use them to recharge Namek's Dragon Balls because when uh, Beerus and Whis are talking to the Grand Priest, it says uh, the events of that conversation happened a few days earlier, which would have been right as they were defeating Moro. But Namek's Dragon Balls take 130 days to recharge. So it's just, this is where I talk about when Toriyotaro got very fast and loose with the way he was telling what was what was happening here and it, it makes me think at the beginning of volume nine toyotaro talks about how he added in some extra pages for that final fight with jiren yep. for the graphic novel version mm-hmm. we know he did that with vegito versus zamasu right right so i'm hoping we'll maybe get a little bit of extra just explaining what happened exactly but of course i'm so wiki minded so i have <laughs> to think of it this way i think Maybe for like the normal reader, they don't care. But for me, like it really is a, a sticks in my craw to use an old phrase. I was just gonna say, hearing you say that, um, I I agree with I, I I agree that that could be an issue, especially from the perspective of someone who is working on a wiki. I personally didn't have too much trouble with with how things were placed in the in the sort of time span of this arc. But uh, I do know exactly what you mean, where it's like right, I have to to write this down and put it in a sort yeah. of scientific way or whatever you want to call it and uh, yeah that's that must be hard you know i'm pretty wiki minded too but i'm also kind of numb to it at this point you know after yeah, yeah. broly like <laughs> broly just killed absolutely any sense of chronology that the series had it was just murdered uh so yeah now i'm just i guess i'm over it and i'm focusing on other details yeah i mean reading it through in one go it didn't the timeline issues didn't really stand out to me but maybe we will get more pages explaining it not even manga pages just like text pages in the collected edition <laughs> just laying it all out right yeah i was gonna say we haven't gotten anything like that all we've gotten have been the two-page bonus chapters we got the as i mentioned at the top of the show the jump victory carnival and that was the oh by the way broly happened <laughs> in addition to the the single page saying broly happened um we got the cranberry story and we got the what has frieza been up to story which is i guess an important question i think uh, the very final thing i noticed to, to kind of tie this to frieza that i noticed in my reread mm-hmm. was the way that they phrased the wish about how everyone was brought back. So does that mean Shimoreka's back? Uh, does that mean <laughs> Cranberry's back? Did Cranberry wake up on Namek? Um, and if so, is he going to be how maybe we get back to Frieza at some point? 
Yeah, those big questions about where do we go next? How do we use these other characters? Keep bringing everyone back. What do you do with them? We get the narrator tells us what what the wish is, but we don't have like the exact wording that whoever said it used. So sure. Yeah, I guess who knows. I think one thing I was curious about. This might be me just trying to like (laughs) maybe give Toyotaro more credit than he deserves, but uh, something I noticed on my reread. was about the way that uh, the the Yadratian powers are kind of conveyed to us. They talk about how it's like this 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 thing between um, your body and your spirit, or your body and your key, and how they're out of balance and how putting them together, you know, increases your power and whatever. And I guess I saw um, I guess I saw parallels there to the Ultra Instinct training mantra that that we would talk about Agreed. a lot. And then shortly after that explanation, or I guess. It was kind of within that explanation you have the elder um reveal that his giant giant form thing kind of thing was just part of that power and mm-hmm. when that happened i was like well oh, is that toyotaro's way of kind of explaining what happens with giant goku at the end of the arc is that like his little way of informing the audience of what that thing is yeah rather than out of the blue this is what he did but like this is an extension of pure spirit control yeah so i was thinking like you know is it is is that what that was supposed to be or or is it really you just thought well we'll just do big goku because it's cool you know so i was just wondering if you if anyone else i think you're probably right yeah that's what i assume just reading it straight through the way you phrase it seems exactly like something i would read from caramel mama so it must be yeah exactly must be true that must be it Well, I mean, I, I don't know why anybody would assume from the beginning that it was just random. You know, I guess it reminded some people of Naruto. Uh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I have no connection you know, to But that, that's yeah. what everybody was talking about. And maybe they got so focused on that that it seemed random to them. But I just don't see any reason to assume that it is, you know. I also feel like, well, everything has to happen for a first time once. So maybe we'll learn something more about this in the future. I mean, we have a new arc. And if Goku can just do Ultra Instinct now, maybe, I guess. Um, You know, maybe they'll walk that back too. But he's got to have some other stuff he can do. And maybe extra spear control even better than Vegeta can do because he's Goku. And that's, I mean, that's the route they'll go. Speaking of Ultra Instinct, when we were reading this monthly, I didn't really care for how Toyotaro was treating Ultra Instinct. Uh, Ultra Instinct. Okay. But going through this in one go, again, everything's better <laughs> reading this arc as well as one go. It's he's making Ultra Instinct his own thing, and he's making it make sense internally within his own continuity that he's established. Sure. Of sign being this form that's you you are unbalanced because we do see goku use a lot of emotion in that form yeah, and yeah. he finally gets perfected ultra instinct and his his pecs can flex to <laughs> break someone's arm and i i came out of it really enjoying what he did with that form and and looking forward to what he does with that and i guess vegeta's got a special super saiyan blue form yeah he got that in the tournament of power didn't he yeah gohan calls it out directly oh it's that version of super saiyan blue so i was like oh i guess that was a thing that that happened (laughs) i think i asked this earlier but now that we've had this long conversation about it i don't know how i want to describe this i feel like i have to explain the question before i ask the question but now that this is the first manga original story arc which is the format that the series originally was does this feel like a true successor to the previous dragon ball franchise or does this still just feel like Dragon Ball by committee? I mean, 
this is the first arc that felt like an actual arc in the manga. I mean, yeah. the Battle of Gods thing, it was kind of like a highlights reel. Then they skipped Resurrection F, mm-hmm. which is maybe the best version of that arc, but still. Then, <laughs> Agreed. Um, Universe 6, it, you know, it started pretty good. And then I think like Ken was saying, it's like at that, he starts arcs well, and then they kind of peter out. So Universe 6 has a really rushed conclusion. And then the Future Trunks has an incredibly long conclusion. And then Turn of Power also really rushed. And so this actually felt like a thing you could read from beginning to end and have it all cohere. And it doesn't just feel like a manga adaptation of a movie or an anime. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, like, at least for me, it's, you know, it's the best super arc uh, by a long shot. I, I also agree that, you know, it, it's the first proper arc. <laughs> I think that upsets one of the power fans, but it's a it's a proper story. I I loved it, frankly. Um, and I think it's the first arc that, that feels complete, not just in terms of structure, like you were saying, but also... It feels like the first arc that's complete in terms of quality. Like, I think, at least from what I can gather from this conversation, we agreed that it's a good arc. And I think the the issues with it are small blips. Whereas I feel like in other discussions we've had, it's like, okay, well, the Future Trunks arc was good up to a point and then it died. Or like the Tournament of Power was all right for a bit and then it was boring and long. You know, like there's always, (laughs) there's always just like these big extreme dips where something just like retroactively makes that arc worse whereas at least for me with this arc you know the bits that bothered me kind of are a little bit around the vegeta section and maybe some other sections but like as a whole it's a competently told story that felt very dragon ball-y and belonged you know in that universe with that world with that original manga well what are some of those big complaints about this arc because aj we were joking about some of the tweets that you got back at you earlier like pretty much split down in the middle of this arc sucks. This arc's the best. So it's tough for me because I really enjoy this arc. I, in fact, I think I love this arc. So I can't put myself in the position of this arc sucks. What, what are some of those takes? What, what are people saying when they don't like it? Ken, you're laughing. All right. Heath is raising his hand, man. All right. I guess I got to use your audio track. What do you want to say? I guess my thought on that is more so. I think that it's a monthly chapter and because I I find myself, and I know AJ kind of talked about it, is as you're going along, all of a sudden you read a chapter and then you have a month to stew on it. And you're like, gosh, yeah. that was just, that was bad. And the next one comes out and it's really good and it makes sense. Everything falls in line. And then the next chapter goes the opposite. And you kind of bounce around a lot because it's so drawn out where you're, you're cramming an entire month's worth of content mm-hmm. into a 15-minute read and then you're mm-hmm. done. Whereas previously, you could go at your leisure at least weekly, not that we were all involved in that, but it was much more of a a leisurely read than you're taking it in snippets, but at large chunks all at once. And so there's no real cohesion between each chapter unless you go back and familiarize yourself with the previous chapter or anything else. And you kind of almost play a little catch up as you're going. And I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. At least that's how I have always kind of felt. I always wish this was a weekly serialization. Hmm. I don't think we're ever going to get that at this point, but 
I, I think that's kind of where I come from. And most of us have said, wow, my reread was different because blank. <laughs> you know, we would have a slightly different take or, or opinion on a, a portion of the story. I agree. I totally agree there. Well, I am not on video, so I was not able to raise my hand okay. <laughs> while AJ was speaking. But taking the super original arcs, which is the Universe 6 arc and Trunks and the Tournament of Power, mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I enjoyed all three of those arcs more than I did this one. Okay. Um, and the Trunks arc was by far my favorite and still is. Um, and I know people have issues with the ending, but my issues with the ending were more with episode 66 than 67, which I liked. The only part of 67 I didn't like was uh, Future Trunks not staying in the main timeline. That was like my big disappointment, but everything else about it was great, in my opinion. Uh, Tournament of Power had issues, but it was fun from beginning, like, genuinely fun i was having fun there was a lot of work involved and i was kind of stressing out a little bit but it was fun and i just never felt that with this arc at any point except for you know like i was talking about earlier with the the battle on earth Mm-hmm. I kind of got into that on my reread i don't remember how i felt about it the first time jake you're someone who only did a condensed read of this arc um so how how would you kind of rank it i mean i've complained a lot about the um callbacks and moro being kind of boring but i mean that stuff aside i think it started really well it kind of dips in the middle i think all of the henchmen are terrible i mean except for cranberry but all of the uh, uh mm-hmm. i can't even remember his name the guy who explodes at the end sakanbo uh, yeah, sakanbo so his yeah. whole crew i couldn't tell you anything about them right now except one of them is a Zarbon ripoff and then anyway so so it dips in the middle but then it gets good again at the end I think I did like the weird giant Goku I mean I thought you know uh, Moro merging with the earth it's like cell self-destructing but still it did weird stuff you know it, it felt like a ripoff but also a new weird crazy thing that we hadn't seen before so so I sure. think because of that like all of the worst stuff was in the middle, so because it ended pretty well, I think I kind of like it end, started and ended well. So everything else I kind of can forgive. But I mean, okay, so as far as the manga of Super goes, I would say this is my favorite arc, maybe the only arc that feels like an arc. But it's hard to compare it for me with the anime version of Super. I think I'm a little, I'm more with. Uh, I'm afraid to say your name now, but uh, Teres. Therese. Therese. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I did enjoy, I enjoyed the anime original super arcs like Universe 6 and Future Trunks and even the Tournament of Power. I mean, at the time going through it, it was kind of a drag, but, you know, I, I did the super rewatch back in uh, 2018. And, you know, when I was going into the final leg of it with the turn of power rewatch, I'm like, oh, God, I don't I don't know if I might have to just quit and do this in like uh, next year or something. But then when I started it, I'm like, uh, you know, I, I was surprised it was pretty easy going. It's like there's a few bad episodes, but then there's a lot of really great episodes. But maybe it does have the problem of like it's all it's too episodic. And so it doesn't really con- cohere. But. Anyway, my point is that I actually, I'm pretty positive on the super anime after Resurrection F, so... And I feel like those arcs, 
in both versions, in the anime and the manga, they had a lot more... They didn't seem as reliant on the really obvious callbacks as this arc. So I did like this arc. I don't know how I'd rank it against everything else in Super. Because, I mean, Super, it's so diffuse. It's hard. It's like, how do you compare this manga arc to the Broly movie? I know, right? (laughs) And that's partly where I was going to go with my question, was how, how much of an influence or even a distraction do you think it was that this was a standalone manga story yeah, arc compared to everything competing. else was i've already seen this in the anime or they're coincide you know they're running at the same time mm-hmm. where this was completely just toyotaro's running with it i think that really helped the excitement month to month because you truly had no idea where it was going like you said super was uh behind or ahead of at various points. Remember universe six was a, we were ahead of the TV series. They charged ahead to speed up the excitement of the TV series. And then there was that specific, I think it was during Piccolo's fight where that switched and, and it got behind again. And then we got into the, the arcs where everything was just totally different. So it had its own like, well, I'm excited to see what's different, but also then you're constantly comparing it. Um, and Broly's just total alone standalone thing. Yeah. But is this also what, lends most of us to agree that this is what truly feels more like a story arc. I think that's where I was going with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it has, it's time to shine. It's opportunity. It, it It is just a manga arc. I'm curious though, for Moro in particular, and you know, we were talking about Moro as a character and not real, not much in the way of motivation to him, but he's got some cool side glances do you think if they nail the right voice, that would elevate him a little more too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think I completely you know, agree. Get some decent writing stuff on board, embellish some of his lines a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be pretty cool. I think if he gets a voice that's not what was in my head as I was reading it, I think he'll will be good because I was reading it as a mix of Gandalf and uh, Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Wow. So I don't think that would have been good. It's just what came That's to a me. Very different voice to what I had in mind. Oh, man. I think I had almost like a. Have you ever heard the the dub version of Jiren? For some reason, I have his voice in mind. What's his name again? Technically, yes, Patrick. Oh, yeah, Patrick Sites. Yeah, Sites. Sites. I don't know, but yeah, his his voice was kind of what I had in mind with uh, with Morrow when I was reading. I saw that at Comic-Con. I didn't know that's what I was going into when I went to that panel. <laughs> it was the last episode dubbed. Well, there I am. This kind of ties into... The reason I was going down that route is um, Mary and I decided that we're going to, for the billionth time, try to catch up on One Piece. And this time we're doing it through the TV series. Um, we've tried reading the manga before. I actually just last year tried starting over in the manga. And I'm sorry, I think Oda's artwork is terrible. And I think he's a terrible panelist and I just can't do it. But I love the characters, and I think the characters live and die by their voices. Uh, and I know a lot of people feel that way about Dragon Ball, whether that is the Japanese cast or another cast. Um, and I am a huge fan of the Japanese cast. I think Nozawa and Horikawa, those are those characters through and through. Uh, and I understand where a lot of people are coming from when they say, no, I'm, I'm going to wait until it's animated. It's like, that's where I was going with that Moro question. It's like, hmm. Yeah, there, there's some more depth that can be delivered in some of these characters, Moro in particular, by a really solid voice. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of, oh, who would be the best voice to cast as Moro? And I don't necessarily want to have that conversation. <laughs> I think there's a lot of great voice actors out there. But um, I just want to acknowledge that I get where people are coming from if they uh, don't want to read it. But at the same time, like 
Dragon Ball was originally a comic. And, and that was exciting to me about this arc was we're in the original medium. Um, that was really neat. I still wonder if that uh, that Italian interview uh, that Toyotaro did or no, it wasn't the, the Italian one. It was the Anime News Network one, wasn't it? Where he said that he was going to be ahead of the anime right. in the future, and that was forever ago. And who knows what that? Yeah, really that was meant. 2016. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I wonder if this was like really the plan, and they were going to let him get ahead and then start another anime. But you know, there's like no sign of it. One thing that I was thinking about was just the fact that this arc took two years. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is it does not feel like it's been two years. Well, what has the last year even been? (laughs) I'm just saying from a Dragon Ball perspective, like it doesn't feel like this arc has taken two years. This year alone has taken 20 years. But besides the point, I feel like the pacing was done well enough that it it worked out to think back that, wow, this started in December of 2018. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of blows me away a little bit. Yeah, that is weird. Like, Super Ending feels like forever ago for me. But this this, this arc doesn't feel that long ago at all. It's weird. I just have a total disconnect there. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly my thought behind it. Because I remember when Super Ended and everyone's like, well, within a year, it's coming back, you know, the TV series, and we're going to be good to go. And they're just getting this started to get it off the ground so they have some backbone to work with. And yet here we are two years later. Well, it's... Heath, it's like we saw with Kai. I mean, <laughs> the, the instant you take it off the air, it does better. And so exactly. they, they know that Dragon Ball can just coast for as long as it needs to before mm-hmm. they do anything. And if they do anything, maybe it'll be a movie. Who knows? I mean, they don't. That's the thing that I'm not sure a lot of fans understand is that Dragon Ball doesn't need to be on TV for it to be more than profitable for them. No, it does not. I just wish that some of the things they were profiting on was Moro merchandise. Because there's nothing. He's not in the the heroes games. Right. He's. It's like he. Anything that happened in this arc doesn't exist. Anything that happened in Toyotaro's Dragon Ball Super, except for Gamma Burst Flash, doesn't exist. Well, even yeah, all it, the figures right now are still Gogeta Broly. I right, mean, right. It's like the movie just came out. If you look at figure lines and video games, yeah, it's mad. Or until it's until it's in there, like we saw with Super Saiyan God Vegeta, where until it was in the Broly movie, it wasn't a thing. Though It clearly was. Like, it was over here. But, I mean, we could have an entire separate podcast conversation about the retcon of Super Saiyan God and what it is and means and how it works. I think we'll have to do that at some point. That's a disaster. Um, but I, I totally agree with you, Ken. It, it Like, it's simultaneously, it's the story. This is the current, official, real Dragon Ball story, and you wouldn't know it. Just give us an anime so Shintani can draw anything but Gogeta, because I feel like that's all he's been allowed to do for like two years now. <laughs> Give the dude a break. Everyone's just going to turn into Gogeta at this point. <laughs> There's no such thing as too much Gogeta. I feel like they're saving Moro, though, for the animated series, because this is something that we've seen in the past. There's there is not a lot of manga-driven merchandise. It is largely video game and animated series-driven. Am I am I wrong to say that? There, there are figures for Gohanks, and there are no figures for Moro. That is true. Like, this is a tragedy. I mean, if they included some of these new characters in Heroes, they'd have to 
give them voice actors, right? Yeah, they would. And well, I guess it's happened over in the English version first, like Beerus first appeared in um, Battle of Z dubbed before. But that's I guess that's not the Japanese version. I'm trying to think, has there been anything like We've, Super has been the weirdest thing that has given us all these different scenarios. Frieza's son, doesn't he have a, a voice actor in Heroes? I Carizo? think Nakao played him early, and yeah, there's a separate one in Heroes that played him. Yeah, yeah, But that one's more of a lineage type of voice actor. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be, it, it'd be an extra step if they wanted to include the characters in video games, is that they'd have to come, they'd have to cast them, mm-hmm. and then presumably that casting would have to carry over to a new anime should that ever happen. So, you know, right. that casting Moro for a video game carries more weight than just casting Kreeza, as much as as much as I love Kreeza. I feel like we've talked about everything we can, and yet there's probably someone screaming at their phone or computer or something like, hey, you didn't talk about Plank, and you're absolutely right. These kind of conversations, especially when you have multiple people, we can't talk about every little thing as much as we would want to. And we prepped and we reread and we made notes and I'm sure there's something we forgot. Uh, I, I truly enjoyed this. Um, you know, I, I did my best to thank all of you ahead of time, but I am truly appreciative. Uh, there was such enthusiasm for um, jumping on this podcast to talk about this arc. Uh, I think there was something about this arc in particular. Uh, and hopefully we articulated that during the episode that, that made everyone kind of want to jump on and, and talk about it. Um, so I think maybe AJ, do you know how I feel about this arc now? Uh, not really. I know you'd like it, but I don't know the, the little nuances. Well, it's you know, his favorite arc of all time. That's the fun thing about being the quote unquote host of the show is that I, I mostly get to ask other people questions. I'm so glad you put that in air quotes, but nobody else can see that. <laughs> Although, AJ, I got to say, I love when you're like, hold on, I want to ask you guys questions. Like, I need that. I need someone else to do that every once in a while. I'm extremely appreciative. I'm so getting paranoid that. that I'm like taking over the show. I'm like, just shut up. Just let him just let him ask the questions. You just, just stop no. saying things. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. Uh, again, I'm very appreciative of everyone. Um, I'm going to go around and, and redo introductions and thank you to everyone i'm gonna start with this jackass who showed up late to the show uh co-founder of konzenshu heath hujio uh thanks man thanks for having me tonight i really appreciate it and mostly because i messaged you ahead of time like hey i'm just gonna show up and watch and maybe interject (laughs) and yeah so that happened Thanks, man. We're gonna we'll talk to you more in the future. Uh, also, co-founder of Konzenshu. So glad to have you back on the show, Jake Herms. Uh, it's great to see you in the Twitterverse again. Um, Dragon Ball World is uh, not the same without you. So it's it's good to hear from you, man. Yeah, and I just want to provide audio evidence that I'm alive. You know, bots <laughs> now, good. they can fake anything. I know. And I see bots that are set up to specifically retweet you. It's really weird. I'm glad you're back because you're talking about the new Dragon Quest anime, which is amazing. And oh, I yes. want everyone to watch it. Yes, that is. I mean, I love Dragon Ball, but that has been the highlight of, uh, well, the last... I was going to say the highlight of the year, but I've really been not involved in anime for except for last month. But anyway, everyone watch uh, Dragon Quest The Adventure of Dai. It's on Crunchyroll, so it'll probably be going for the next two years, and it's really good. It is very good. I guess I'm going to keep going down in order of authority. Uh, Therese, uh, wiki administrator. And, uh, you know, I always joke about Heath being my secret boss. I think Therese is actually my double secret boss. I think she's become my secret <laughs> boss. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. No, I like it. I need somebody to keep me in check. <laughs> keep me focused. Uh, yeah, I try not to be too obnoxious because I know that I just like kind of wandered into this fandom in late 2015 and you guys have been here since the late 90s. So I try to be good. You're more it's than hard good. sometimes because I'm older. I'm older than all of you. It's true. You, so. you actually have <laughs> <laughs> AJ is the baby, but uh, yes, a- a- AJ is almost exactly fifteen years younger than me. Oh, I thought you were going to say. That's how I remember 15. how old he is. <laughs> um, but Trez, uh, Wiki, we're gonna talk some more about it soon. I, whether you want to or not, you're gonna be joining me for a Wiki live stream in the future, and we're gonna have a good time, kind of giving some more sneak peeks on things. But uh, I just want to reiterate that I'm very appreciative for everything you do and. I'm in awe, actually, of uh, the work you put in on this stuff. It, it's really incredible. I try. I try not to think about how small of a dent I'm making in everything. Well, you know, every little bit counts. It's cliche, but it's totally true. <laughs> um, AJ, you're the baby. You're last. So I'm going to go over to Ken. <laughs> <laughs> also, wiki editor extraordinaire. Uh, I want to talk with you about Kakarot again at some point. <laughs> I feel like we'll have to do like a, a year rechecking on on that game, but just to to tease people, you did a replay and you basically are playing the game on pause. What does that mean? Right. So uh, when we played Kakarot the first time, uh, I was just playing it to play it, and then I was thinking like, well, there's a lot of stuff like w- with the time travel mechanic in that game, you can't revisit side quests, and so I'm like, well. There's characters like Suika and Neck that I need to go back and figure out how we're going to write the entries for. I need to re-familiarize myself with Animaline and all the little Toriyama drops that are in this game. And so I was like, well, 15 bucks on Black Friday on PS4, I'll get it on. You know, I played it originally on PC, playing it on PS4. I platinumed it. I'm now playing the DLC, which is just a grind. So maybe we'll save the <laughs> the follow-up for after the third piece of DLC. Uh, I love that game, though. And I, I just want to say, it's always a treat to be on this podcast. Like, I've been a, a fan for as long back as I can think of liking Dragon Ball. And uh, it's starting to not feel weird to be on this podcast. Oh, good. <laughs> and so uh, I just, I really love, love being here. Uh, I I think you bring something unique and special to the show, just like everyone else here. I, I very much appreciate um, your work, but also your input, your thoughts. It's good stuff, man. AJ. Hello. Time is it right now? Uh, 4.11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You were one of the first people that was like, yep, on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm talking about it. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate being here. I'm surprised anyone even cares about the silly things I have to say anymore. Like, I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> like, kind of moving away from YouTube, I've just become like angry Twitter user number like 4 million. So it's nice to like sit down and actually talk as opposed to trying to like condense thoughts into like mini tweets, which never ever goes well. No, it's, it's not good. I, you need that personal connection. I think it, it brings out. I think you have important good things to say, and that's why I agreed to let you on here, man. Hooray. <sighs> I just need to be less angry when I type things. Yes, yes. Every time you're going to type something, you think, would Mike approve of this? <laughs> There's definitely been points where I do think, I bet Mike thinks I'm such a jackass for this. <laughs> Which is nice, I guess. I only care what Herms thinks about when I tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Herms disagreed with me the other day. And I was just like so heartbroken. I was like, oh no, oh no. 
It is Oof. a gut punch. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> uh, well, I get, I'm glad. Well, you'll be glad to. He- I had this whole. Uh, I was going to tweet a response to your comment on movie twelve. Oh no! But it got to be so elaborate that I just scrapped it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, glad. Got to go through the whole movie like plot point by plot point, and explain why. Well, for one thing, explain why it has a plot. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have just replied like, "I'm just being incredibly facetious because I don't like that film. I love how angry people get when I say I don't like it." Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It, you know, it's if you, if you don't like movie 12, you know, arguing with you, it's like arguing with the flat earther. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, but dear. isn't that what Twitter is for? Just to make other people angry at you? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not what it's for. Oh, Heath, we're going to have words. Well, um, then we must be on two different Twitters, Mike. Uh, I give one last thanks to everyone. Um I always say that the podcast is just my excuse to get my friends together and have a drink and talk about uh, things that I like. And if anyone else happens to listen to it and enjoy it, that's cool too. Um, but I truly am appreciative of this. Um, this has been a, a two-year arc <laughs> that I've really held back on my opinions on. Um, and it's been fun to chat it out with everyone. Um, I would love to hear what folks have to say. Uh, you can tweet at Konzenshu. You can send an email, podcast at Konzenshu.com. Um, we'll have a forum thread for the episode. Uh, anywhere you want to talk about it, we would love to hear your thoughts on the arc. People always say that, like, oh, comment below. I truly will read literally anything and everything that someone wants to send us about this, and I'll probably respond to it, too. Um, I, I just enjoy Dragon Ball that much and talking about it that much. Um, I, I like to think the fact that I'm still doing this in 2020 going on 2021 says something um, about my love for the series, and this group in particular um, really helps reinforce that uh, for me. I, I don't think I would still be here doing this if it weren't for folks like this. And not to get too sappy, but uh, Heath, I've talked about this with you, but when you, myself, Jake, and Julian um, made Consensu in 2012 after doing stuff for so long at that point, we really thought like, well, this is it. We're done. Dragon Ball's over. <laughs> at that point, it was over. We're just going to coast for a while. And, you know, we'll obviously operate the site forever, but this is it. Um, the fact that new people have come into this and have become this good of friends to us. Um, I agree. This, this is not what I foresaw when yeah. we did this in 2012. We, we were truly like, that's it. Cool. We've met everyone we're going to meet and we've done everything we're going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that I'm looking down this list and, and talking to these folks, some of which I didn't know at that time. It's awesome. I'm just really happy. So thanks, Mauro. <laughs> <laughs> That being said, www.kanzenshuu.com. That is consenshu.com. Um, with this episode, I will link everyone's Twitter, whatever they want me to link uh, for them. It's going to say, or their YouTube channel, but AJ, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to link your Twitter. <laughs> Good plan. Um, and that's it. You can tweet at them. You can tweet your angry responses back at them and tweet your happy responses back at me and at the main content you account. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. Uh, I'm actually hoping I will see you next week for a follow-up to this episode. It will not. No, you're crossing your fingers. Not with you. I'm sorry. The episode will be 
with someone else. And then our year end episode will probably be the week after that. So again, don't shake your fist at me. I'm the boss here. <laughs> a little bit into January, we're going to try to do our usual year end and predictions and all that. We missed it last year through no fault of my own. Just saying. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.